And I just want to say, I, I want to thank uh, Pastor Salazar for the privilege of being able to speak this morning. Pastor, thank you for the privilege of uh, being able to speak this morning. And this morning, I want to preach the message um, titled, The Anatomy of Refreshing. And if you have your Bibles, if you could turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 3, in verse 19 through 20. And when you get there, say amen, or I got there, I'm here. Although this message sounds really complicated, it isn't. The Bible says this in verse 19. It says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send to you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Verse 20. I'm going to read that one more time. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, the appointed Messiah. Thinking about refreshing inside of uh, our lives, inside of our, our walk with God. It's so important that you and I, we get those refresh, uh, refreshings in the Lord. Um, whether you know it or not, you and I, we're in a constant battle uh, against the forces of darkness. You are, uh, we're in a real battle where all of a sudden that strength that we have can begin to feel depleted inside of our life. Or even worse is when you and I are coming to church and all of a sudden boredom starts to set inside of our life. And you and I no longer have that desire to do great things for God. Or maybe not even the energy to make those things take place inside of our life. And that's why this uh, text is so important. The Bible says an interesting word. It says refreshing, uh, a time of refreshing. And this word is very interesting because in the New Testament, it's only used once. And what it literally means, it means to breathe upon, to revive. To breathe upon and to revive. And I don't know about you, church, but I want God to breathe upon my life. I want God to breathe upon uh, my very soul and to revive me because I know there's those times in, in my life and I, I, can, I can tell you where I all of a sudden feel tired or, or all of a sudden boredom starts to want to set in or being exhausted wants to set in. And that's when you and I have to set our heart to God and say, God, please revive my soul. Breathe upon my life, Lord, so that, Lord God, that you can give me the strength and the power that I can make it in this battle that I'm in. Times of refreshing. So important. On September 23rd, 1857, there was a man by the name of Jeremy Lampier who um, was hired on in uh, lower Manhattan at a church there. And his job was a, a visitation program for a church that uh, had peaked and all of a sudden they had began losing members. So his job was to go visit the elderly widow, to go visit the young, to go visit those in the hospital in hopes of the church being revived. As he went out there and began to visit people and spend his time visiting people, one of the things they noticed is that the church continued to dwindle and they continued to lose members. So uh, Jeremy had this idea and he was kind of at his last hope. And what he decided was to advertise a prayer meeting at his church in lower Manhattan. What he did was he made some flyers and uh, he said, we'll be having a prayer meeting at 12 o'clock on a certain day. I believe it was September 23rd, 1857. And as he opened the door, he was the only one there. And he began to pray. He got on his knees and began to pray for God's strength. Discouragement tried to set in. 
Lies of the enemy try to set in, but he continued to pray. About 12.30, all of a sudden, he heard the door open, and a gentleman walked into that prayer room. Then more people began to walk in. And by the end of that prayer session, there was six people inside of that prayer meeting. The U.S. at the time was facing many troubles. Uh, The economy had collapsed. People were looking for answers to social ills, um, such as prohibition and also slavery to abolish it. It was a time of a lot of tension in the United States. People were looking for answers. They began to pray. This one prayer meeting, all of a sudden, within six months, it grew into 10,000 people in New York alone. Other cities began to have a renewed interest for prayer, including Chicago, Cleveland, and Louisville. Thousands of people all across America began to gather at the YMCA to pray and to seek the face of God, at different city places to seek the face of God and ask God for revival. The unique thing about this revival is that this revival, they call the Third Awakening, but this was the first revival to begin in America that spread all across Wales, England, Europe, South Africa, India, Australia, and the Pacific Islands. All of a sudden, all kinds of people from all classes began to be interested in salvation, backsliders returned, conversions increased, Christians desired a deeper instruction in spiritual truths, families established daily devotions, entire communities underwent a noticeable change in morals. And how many of us know that's what we need in America? We need a revival in America to to begin to shape the moral climate of the United States, of California, of the world. There needs to be a shift of a revival to change the whole landscape and culture of our times. The great Scottish preacher James Buchanan, he summarized the revival as this. It was a time of new spiritual life being imparted to the dead and a new spiritual health being imparted to the living. I don't know about you, church, but I want that revival inside of my life. I want God to breathe upon me. I want God to strengthen me. I want to be used by God to influence my kids in the ways of God. I want to be used by God to influence my wife in the ways of God. I want to be used by God to influence the men that I come in contact to in the ways of God. I want to change the world. I know there's many of you here today. You want to change the world for Jesus. You want God to breathe upon you. You want to experience revival inside of your life. And I want to say it's going to take place inside of your life if you seek the face of God as this simple young man Jeremy did his this prayer meeting changed the world how does revival happen in our text the book of Acts says there has to be repentance without true repentance someone cannot be restored he cannot be truly changed she cannot be truly changed until we are willing to turn from our sinful lifestyle and admit our sins to a holy God Genuine repentance is a beautiful thing. It's more than tears and promises. In true repentance, a person is born again. They're humble. They're thankful. All of a sudden, a new person emerges. Times in our life, maybe you've been serving God for some certain length of time. You go, you know what, Pastor? I really don't need repentance. I've been saved for 25 years. The reality is that we all need repentance. We all need to get to check our hearts and, and say, God, show me my heart, God. Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, Lord. Every single day there needs to be repentance coming to God. Say, God, show me any wicked or hidden thing inside my heart, God. 
Show me, God, that, Lord, I can confess it, renounce it, God, and turn from this. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 10, if we claim that we do, have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. You might say, Pastor, well, how do I sin? I've been serving God. I, I don't cheat on my taxes. I, I don't do bad things like that. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, get pirated um, um, movies off the Internet. I, I buy everything that I get. But the reality is this, is that prayerlessness inside of our life is sin. If you and I are not seeking the face of God, you and I are in sin. The Bible talks about that in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. I believe the greatest sin of our time is people not seeking the face of God. Not seeking his face and his strength and his power inside of our life. But the good news today, church, is this. The Bible says in the verse prior, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the God that we serve. God gives us the remedy that if we confess our sins, that we have a faithful and true witness and advocate with the Father by the name of Jesus Christ who will forgive us our sins, not only forgive us, but cleanse us from all the sins inside of our life and present us as a holy person, a holy man and woman to the Father. Amen. That's the God that we serve. So why is refreshing so important? The reason why refreshing is so important is because it changes us personally. You and I, all of a sudden God begins to change us. There's this, there's this individual revival taking place that although maybe uh, the people around you don't feel it, that you're on fire for God. You're ready to worship. You're ready to be in church. You're ready to tell people about God. Why? Because there's this inner revival inside of your life. You just want to be in the word of God. You want to be in prayer. You want to spend time with God alone. There's this personal revival going on. Another reason why refreshing is so critical is because it changes culture. As believers, our pastor has showed us not to be bystanders. Bystanders who watch the, the moral climate of this world just get more corrupt and more corrupt. But God has called us to you and I to stand for righteousness, to walk in holiness, to declare his wonders, to be men and women of truth. Not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. That's who God has called us to be inside of our lives. Uh, that when you and I are going to our schools, or to your middle school, to your high school, to your college, and, and you're standing for righteousness, it begins to shape the culture that's around you. When you're on the construction site and you're walking in righteousness and you're not laughing at the dirty jokes and you're not looking at what they're looking at, it begins to shape the culture of those men. They begin to get convicted going, man, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I should be acting more like him. Because it shapes culture. Revival shapes culture. You look at the, the, the first awakening, the second awakening, the third awakening, the Jesus movement. It shaped culture. The Jesus movement shaped the culture of California in the late 1960s and uh, 70s. It shaped the culture. Hippies began to give their lives over to Jesus, began to declare the wonders of God. Churches began to emerge all over the place. Why? Because revival, it shapes the culture. It shapes the culture inside of our lives. Lastly, revival, refreshing is so critical because uh, it glorifies God. It glorifies God. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, lifts such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Revival, refreshing is so critical. 
being people of refreshing. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verse 16, Paul talks about Onesiphorus being a man who refreshed him, a man who strengthened him, a man who was there. That's the kind of man that I, that's the kind of man that I want to be, a man who refreshes those who, who I get around. I want to be a man who refreshes my pastor. I want to be a man who refreshes him, who prays for him, who fasts for him, who's there by his side. I want to be a, a man like that for my wife. I want to be a man who refreshes my wife, a man who's there, who, a man who encourages her. I want to be like that to my kids. I want to build them up. I want to edify them to my brothers in Christ. I want to edify them. I want to build them. I want to be someone who refreshes them. Uh, I want to be uh, uh, like a, a, nu- a nuclear power plant of a Christian. That's what we need to be is, is to have this power source of, of, of the Holy Spirit working inside of our life and refreshing those. Paul said, may the Lord show mercy to the house of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me. And he was not ashamed of my chains. There's so many believers that say, man, I'm so drained. I'm so tired. I just want to quit. I, I, I feel dead. And, and, and I'm going to show you why right now. A principle from Israel, the land of Israel. Two lakes in Israel, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Why don't we go ahead and take a picture of the the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, they're both lakes. And they're about 104 miles away from each other. But in the Dead Sea, there's no life. You don't see no trees around there. That is a desert area. The the lake is full of uh, salt content. Very high salt content. If you go in there, no matter how big you are, how small you are, you're going to float in that water because of salt. Nothing living, no fish, no animal life around that area, in that water. Why? Because that lake right there, I'll tell you why right now, but the, the next lake, the Sea of Galilee, this is, the, this is where you want to go if you're in Israel. This is where you want to get the fish and chips when you're in Israel, Okay. So right, right after you walk through Gethsemane, go there. <laughs> but this lake is full of fish. There's even one named after the apostle Peter there. It is full of fish. It is full of life. It is, it is full of, of a lot of things to do right there in that water. You could go in there, catch fish, take a nice, uh, a, a, a nice cruise around the lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and you see how lush and green it is. What's the difference between the two lakes? They're both in the same climate, they're both about in the same area. The difference is this. The Sea of Galilee has an outlet that it lets, releases the water. An outlet into the Jordan River. It releases, it releases, it receives, uh, it receives, and then it releases. Now, the Dead Sea, it receives from the Jordan River, the same river. If we could show the Dead Sea one more time. It receives from uh, the Jordan River, but the Dead Sea, it hoards and it contains. It has no outlet of release. And the principle that God shows us in our life is when you and I, when we're just receiving and just receiving and we're not giving to God and we're not serving to God and we're not doing the things that God has called us to do and we're just receiving, I want to tell you, we're going to be some dead Christians. We're not going to have the, the life of God in us. We're not going to have the passion of God in us. Why? Because that principle in the promised land shows you and I something so powerful that's found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 25. He who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. 
He who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. But when somebody holds something unduly, I want to tell you what happens inside their life when they're no longer giving out, when they're no longer praying, when they're no longer giving financially, when they're no longer encouraging others, what's going to happen is they're going to be a dying, dead Christian and they're going to be very bored in their walk with God. It's not until you and I release to God that you and I are able to see the hand of God move inside of our lives. You and I, real quick, I want to talk about five ways that you and I can be refreshed. How many guys want to be refreshed inside of our walk with God? Five ways that you and I can be refreshed. These are five ways that God has constantly used uh, to refresh my life and to give me strength. The first one is this, is God's word refreshes us. Let's say that as a church. Say God's word refreshes us. God's word refreshes us. The Bible says in Psalms 19 verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. It says, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The, the word of God, when it comes into our life, it refreshes our soul. It means it's just like you're reading God's word and you know that the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the spirit, uh, uh, the vision of, of soul and spirit, and joints and marrow, and knows our thoughts and intents of our heart. It's a powerful book. You know, you can read a, a lot of great books, but they're not alive and active. When you read God's word, it's alive and active, and all of a sudden your spirit begins to get stirred. You begin to get faith. You begin to get passion. God begins to download inspiration into your life. He'll give you ideas. He'll give you God ideas as you're reading the word of God. He'll give you, uh, it's the manual for life, the word of God. That's what it is. So you and I are to uh, let God's word come into our life. And some people might say, well, you know, reading the Bible is boring. I like what Charles Spurgeon said to refute that. He said, the more you read the Bible... The more you meditate on it, the more you're astonished by it. So if you get your phone and you read one verse in the morning and you, that's like your daily devotion, that's, that's not sufficient. That's like waking up in the morning and eating like one fruity pebble. <laughs> we need breakfast. We need the word of God to be meat and manna. That's what the Bible is called. That's what it, it is. It's meat and it's manna to our soul. When you get in the word of God, the Bible says it's a mirror. It begins to show you all the imperfections in our life that we need to change. The Bible says it's manna that it, God provides for us the spiritual things that you and I need fresh and new every single morning. That's what manna came every morning. And the Bible says it's also meat so you and I can mature in our walk with God. No longer be babes and infants but to walk in God and to grow in God. That's what the word of God does inside of our life. So we're growing in God. We're, 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 we're uh, becoming more like Christ as you and I read the word of God. You and I, we must study God's word. The Bible says in Psalms 119 verse 15, it says, I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. Not only to study them, but to memorize scripture. The Bible says in Psalms 119 verse 16, I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. I will not forget your word. What would be the results if you and I spent more time in God's word? God gives us a promise in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. It says, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. I don't know about you, but I want to be prosperous. I want to be successful. 
I want, I, want, I, want the, I want the prosperity of God over my life. And you know what? He promises me that. He promises you that. That if you're in his word, that you'll be prosperous. That you'll be successful inside of your life. That God's word will bless your life in a tremendous way. Recently I was reading about a young man who uh, uh, in school, he was, he, was, he was really struggling as a young boy in school. And what happened was uh, a pastor told him, you know what you need to do? You need to start reading God's word. All of a sudden, he began to read God's word every morning. He began to study God's word. He began to memorize scripture. All throughout high school, he began to become more and more successful as he was going through school. When he graduated from high school, he was the one chosen to speak on that evening. He gave a great speech. Then he went off to college, and the studies began to get harder. And what he began to do is to slip away from reading the Bible. No longer was he memorizing it. No longer was he studying it. All of a sudden, he was too busy for God because he's so immersed in school. His grades began to plummet, began to go down. He was wondering why. What am I doing different? I'm studying the same study habits. I, I'm, 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 I'm spending much time in my books. Why am I getting these bad grades? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit quickened him. He showed him this verse in Joshua that God's word, he promises that you'll be successful and prosperous if you're in my word. All of a sudden, what he began to do, he began to memorize scripture again. He began to read the word of God again. All of a sudden, his grades started going back up. He began to get more and more successful. And he said, man, God, I'm so sorry because I forgot about you. You're promising your word, God. I'm not successful on my own, but it's your word that has made me successful, God. It's your word that has made me prosperous. It's your word that has brought blessing inside of my life. Where would you be today if you were in God's word for 20 minutes every day? How successful would you be in your business, in your marriage, with your children, inside of any place you go? I want to tell you that God would do tremendous things in your life if you spend more time in his word. You might say, well, I don't have time for his word. I challenge you to spend 18 minutes with God in his word every single day. Last week, when pastor gave us that challenge... To pray for 15 minutes for the unborn, I want to say I was challenged. I was excited. I like challenges. How many of you guys here like challenges inside of your life? Amen. So my challenge to you this morning is to read the Bible for 18 minutes. You might say, well, why 18 minutes, Pastor? Why not 16? Well, the reason why is this, that it takes 70 hours and 40 minutes to read the Bible through at a normal rate. And you might say, whoa, pastor, that's a lot of time. Well, if you spend 18 minutes in God's word, by the end of the year, you would have read through the whole Bible, just 18 minutes a day. You might say, well, it's still too much, 18 minutes. Well, as, as I was researching the message, I began to look up smartphones, how long people spend on their smartphones. And they, they said this. They said that a month, a month, Americans, a month, they spend 73 hours on smartphone apps. 73 hours. To break that down, that's two and a half hours a day on your smartphone. Some of you are going, that's making sense to me. <laughs> but this is the reality. That if you and I spend as much time on our smartphones as we spend on, in our Bible, you and I, if we do that, we could read the Bible through 12 times in one year. 12 times. 12 times in one year. I want to tell you, if you and I read the Bible 12 times in one year, we would be some walking Bibles, huh? We would be full of the Holy Spirit. We would be casting out demons. We would be doing all kinds of awesome things. Why? Because the Word of God makes us alive and, and strengthens us and gives us success inside of our lives. It brings success in our lives and it makes us prosperous. 
Second thing, if you and I want to be refreshed, worship refreshes us. Worship refreshes us. Praise and worship to the Lord are why you and I were created. It's about being a worshiper and living a life of worship. Living to exalt him and to worship him. In that, you and I are refreshed and strengthened. The Bible says in the book of Psalms 100, verse 1 through 5, it says, Shout to, shout for joy to the Lord, all ye earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs, knowing that the Lord, he is God. That he made us and we are his. We are the people of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his holy name. That, that's why you and I were created. We weren't created to worship ourselves. We weren't created to, to worship, you know, our careers. We weren't created to worship um, uh, the, our favorite teams. We weren't created to worship any of that stuff. But you and I, we were created. We were designed by God to bring glory to his name. We were called. We, you and I were born. We were bred to worship. We are bred to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why you and I were created. I love what he says. He says, shout to God that you and I, we could come in the house of God shouting, yes, I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord. That you and I uh, are excited. Why? Because it says in the next verse, it says, know that he is God. No matter what you're going through, we can know that he is God and that he is going to see us through. That he's going to strengthen us. That he's going to empower us. That he's going to have the final say in whatever battle we're going in today. He has the final say. And he's on the throne. It's not a coincidence what you're going through. It went before his death, before it even went before you. And he's going to see us through. That's the God that we serve. So my challenge to you is to worship, to live to worship, to breathe to worship. Every second of your day to live to worship God. The third point here today is giving releases. Giving releases. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God in his word, in, in, in so many words he tells us, why don't you challenge me in this and see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing inside your life there will not be room enough to receive it. One of the things that we see right here in this text is something amazing. That God says, I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing over your life that you're not going to have enough room to receive the blessing because it will be so, so immense, so powerful, you're not even going to have enough room to receive it. Thinking about my life, uh, tithing, uh, growing up in, in, in my dad's home, my dad, he forced me to tithe. He took out the tithe before even the money even came to me. If he was going to give me $100, he gave me 90 because the tithe was already taken care of. But what he did was he actually imparted discipleship into my life because now I'm ready to tithe. I thank God for living a life of tithing because it blessed me time and time again, time and time again. God has blessed my life because of what? Because of tithing. It's not just an Old Testament principle, but it's a New Testament principle that you and I can live in and walk in and see the blessings of God in. It's so important that you and I get this. I remember one time uh, uh, getting ready for conference. I remember not having that much money. And I, I, my, my tithe, I, I paid my tithes. And I went to work. And I began to say, God, I, I, 
I have to go. And that's when the conference was in Azusa, so you had to get the whole towel. A lot of good places to eat over there. You want to be able to take your family there. You want to be able to buy the t-shirt, the conference t-shirts there. You want to be able to get all the merchandise, all the merch. You want to just have a good, blessed time. You want to be able to bless people as well. And I remember going, oh, man, I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but you've, all, you've never failed me. You've always came through for me. And I remember getting a check in the mail. This is not fictional. This is not a lie. Getting a check in the mail. And I remember it was not even, it was, it was not just enough. It was not just enough, but it was more than enough. We're, you know what, the God that we serve is such an awesome God. You know, it was, it was not going to McDonald's and getting off the dollar menu. It was going to Chick-fil-A kids, get whatever number you want. Do you want a milkshake? Do you want, do you want, what, you want to go large? We can go large. Because we serve a God who goes large. When you and I are faithful over the few, God will bless us. God will bless our life. God will bless us. Why? Because he's faithful to his word. You challenge God in this. I want to tell you that he will not only meet the challenge, he will exceed the challenge. Because that is the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. When we give to God, he refreshes. You bless him financially. He blesses you financially, but with more. You bless him financially. He blesses you with other blessings as well. Why? Because you can never outgive God because it's in, his, it's in his nature to give. He's a giver. That's the God that we serve. He is a giver. That's his very nature. He's faithful to outdo his promise. That's the God that we serve. So what's my challenge to you? My challenge is for you to give 10% and to give an offering. If every single one of us here today tithe, I want to tell you, we're reaching the world. We'll be able to reach the world in a greater way. The possibilities are endless if you and I would partner in unity and everyone carry the burden of being faithful to God. Number four is serving refreshes us. Serving refreshes us. Gratefully, thankfully, and with an eternal perspective, serving because he's given us an example of service. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as you serve the Lord and not people. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. What's one way we can serve? We can get involved in ministry. It's so important. Why? Because when we're involved in ministry, all of a sudden, God begins to refresh us in our life. What's another way to serve? Uh, another way to serve is to look for the people in the church that maybe, uh, maybe somebody who no one's talking to. And go out of your time and to invest in them. And, and, and to go to those people who are, are the, the diamond in the rough. And to let them know that, 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 that you are so blessed to, to be a, a part, for them to be a part of our church and to encourage them, to invest in them, to listen to them, to take them out for coffee, to recruit them into ministry, to pray for them, to be right there with them. Why? Because what does it do? It encourages their life. George Washington Carver, he said these words, how far you go in life depends on you being tender with the young compassionate with the age, sympathetic with the striving, intolerant with the weak and strong, because someday in your life you would have been all of these. I thank God for men and women who invested into me and my wife. I remember as a teenager, 
uh, Pastor Tim taking me out for basketball and going to Burger King and hanging out with him and him just sharing the word of God with me. I think about my mom and my dad, the investment they made inside of my life to go to the Christian school, to go to conference, to, to, to be part of God's house, the investment that was made inside of my life. That investment is something that I cherish inside of my life. I'll never forget it. When I think about my wife, the investment that she's made inside of my life. I remember one time being at the 180, and I remember rushing to Pastor Salazar, and I remember him taking time to talk with me about something that I, I had a vision. I was, I think it was 17 years old, and I told him, Pastor, I want to preach the gospel. And instead of going like this, who does this kid think he is? I'm walking away. He took time, and he began to invest in me. He began to give me a plan. He began to say, you know what, do this, do that. And you know what he did? It stirred my faith. He doesn't know how much that blessed my life in that moment, in that season of my life. Investment. Investing in those that are inside of our church. So important that when you and I serve, we don't just hang out with our trio. We don't just hang out with our clique. But you and I spread abroad and go to that person that's new that person that maybe, maybe is sitting at a different place and rushing to them and showing them the love of God. Why? Because someone did that for us. Someone invested into us, serving others. My last point today is prayer brings refreshing. If we could have the worship team come up, the final point, prayer brings refreshing. Ian Bounds, he gave this awesome quote about prayer. He said these words, he says, the secret of success in Christ's kingdom is the ability to pray. The secret of success in Christ's kingdom is the ability to pray. Again, Ian Bounds, he said these words, he says, prayers outlive the lives of those who utter them. They outlive a generation, they outlive an age, they outlive a world. Our prayers. God refreshes us in that. What are the prayers that get results? Well, God gives us an example, Jesus Christ gives us an example of not quitting when we're praying. Continuous prayer, continuous prayer. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in spirit, being watchful to this end with all prayer and supplication for all the saints, being persistent and continuous in our prayers. Another prayer that gets results is the fervent, effectual prayer. Fervency, there has to be passion. There has to be a knowing that I knowing that he hears me. James chapter five or 16 says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I remember years ago, I was about 11 years old, and me and my sister, my, my, my sisters, my dad was in Fresno, California, and we were in this small building, church building, commercial building actually, on Ventura Avenue, and we wanted a church building. Like, we are so blessed to have this beautiful facility. We are so blessed. And I remember we wanted this church building, came up, but they said you needed one million dollars for this building. One million dollars is what we needed. And I remember my dad, I tell my dad, I said, Dad, why don't we have an all-night prayer meeting tonight? And he's all, okay, if you want to, son, you can. 
And me and my sister, we began to pray in the living room. We began to pray. We began to pray for a million dollars. And my, my hope, my vision was that a wealthy businessman was going to come with a briefcase full of thousands of dollars, all nice and neat, and put it right there at that door. A million dollars. That's what my prayer was that night. God, do that. That's what my sister's prayer was that night. Bring in a million dollars that we could have that beautiful church. Around 2 o'clock in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, I went to the door with so much faith and expectancy to see that money. I open it, and lo and behold, there's a floor mat on the floor. No money. Close the door. Me and my sister, we go to sleep. I think she might have been asleep already. Go to sleep, discouraged. About eight, nine years later, another building opened up, but this one was a nicer one. This one had a basketball court, a gymnasium, amazing. And all of a sudden, that passion, the whole church became passionate about it. We went to that church facility. We began to pray in agreement for the building, for the property, if it was God's will. We began to raise funds. We began to do all kinds of things. And I remember working uh, a summer job at CPS, and about six months later, I get this call from my mom. And my mom says, we signed the papers, the building is ours. I was like, wow, God, you're so amazing. And I was thinking about that, that eight years, nine years earlier, I know that God heard me for that money. I know that in heaven, something took place that morning or that evening, that a prayer was answered. But God was looking down and saying, you know what, I have something better for you than that building I have a better building, and it's about nine years away, and I'm going to bless you with that building. And you know what? God blessed us with that, that building. Let me say this. In six months, we, uh, that church, that, that church of about 40 to 60 people, we raised $137,000. This, this is 60 to 30 people. Kids began to give. God began to multiply. Now, after all these years, during, in between services, I went and I looked up how much the building's worth. The building is worth uh, $770,000. So I'm thinking, okay, there's interest. I go, they must have paid a million dollars for it. Right around a million, I said, so God, that night, when I pray that prayer for a million dollars, when my sister prayed that prayer for a million dollars, Lord, you heard that prayer. And it didn't happen the way I had hoped and expected, but Lord, it happened, God through this time, God, because you are faithful, God, to the cries, to the prayers, God, of your people, God. You are so, so faithful. And maybe you're here today and you're praying for something. You're praying for an unsafe son or an unsafe daughter or, or your marriage or maybe you're praying for a healing in your body. And you're praying, you're going there with expectancy like, Lord, I want to see it today, God. I, I want to see it right now. I want to see it like this, God. And let me say this. God hears you, but it might not be the way you expect it, but it's going to happen. It's going to take place in his time and in his way. And I want to tell you, it's going to be exceedingly abundantly better than the way you expected because that's the God that you and I serve, a God that answers prayer. So my challenge to you is this. You might say, well, what's your challenge in prayer? My challenge is a challenge that we find in the Word of God. Jesus, in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, he goes to Peter, James, and John, verse 40. He says, hey, you guys, 
can't you guys pray for an hour? And that's a challenge that God has laid on my heart to pray for an hour. But I believe it's a challenge that he's given some of you today to pray for one hour, to pray for your kids, to pray for revival, to pray for strength, to pray, pray for new labors to come into our church, to pray for supernatural healings, for signs and wonders, to pray, to seek the face of God. That's the challenge that Christ gave us in his word. Will you pray for, can you pray for one hour? Can you watch for one hour? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You need to watch, you need to pray. That's what God says to me. That's what God says to you, to pray, to seek his face. He refreshes us. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed in reverence to God.